And let me just review a few things. If you've been with me every week, you probably know some of this, and it'll just roll off your tongue as easy as it rolls off of mine. But the first thing that we did was we actually defined the word kingdom. And the word kingdom in the Greek is basileia, and it means authority, it means dominion. Um, it's not an actual physical kingdom, but it's the authority of a kingdom. So we've talked about that. Uh, Jesus didn't just proclaim the kingdom of God, he demonstrated the kingdom of God. So it's one thing, and it is good news to be able to come to someone that's, that's demonized and that needs to be free and to be able to come to them and say, I've got great news. The authority of God can break that. That's already good news. And even better news is when it does, when it does break that demonic authority, right? So Jesus didn't just proclaim good news. He demonstrated good news. And he encouraged his disciples to do the same thing. He said, here, everything that you've seen me do and you've heard me say, go and do the exact same things that I've been doing and let's change this world. Um, we've also talked a lot about identity because if we're going to walk in the authority of the kingdom of God, we need to know who we are. One of the things that stand out to me about Jesus, he knew who he was. People would say, who, who's, who can even testify on your behalf? And he was like, well, I, I can testify on my own behalf because my testimony also carries the weight of my father, Right? So everything that I'm saying is what my father has spoken about me. Jesus knew who he was. Um, Beth mentioned earlier our announcement about our J-12 group for the sixth graders and the seventh graders. One thing we know about Jesus, at the age of 12, Jesus knew who he was, right? He, his parents even were missing him. They were traveling with a caravan of family and friends, and they're like, when? Where's Jesus? Where did he go? What's going on? And they look throughout Jerusalem, and they find him in the temple, and what did he say? Didn't you know I'd be here doing my father's business? At the age of 12, Jesus knew exactly who his father was. And he walked in the, in the security of his identity. Preachers have said for years, God doesn't have any grandchildren. Doesn't ha God doesn't have any great-grandchildren. We want our children to know that they are children of God just like we are. That's one of the reasons that we call our Sunday morning ministry with our children not too young. They are not too young to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are not too young to know who they are in Christ Jesus. And can I get an amen on this? They're not too young. But the other thing that goes along with that, we have to know that's not just a label that we give them so that they feel better about themselves while they're little. We actually have to believe that too. What if one of those not too young children came out and walked up to Craig Moore today and said, Mr. Craig, I've been praying for you and I feel like the Lord gave me a word for you. Do we just look at them and go, oh, well, that's just sweet. They're just so little. They're just so precious. Or do we see them as a child of God, just like us, with the presence of God, just like us, that might have a timely word from God, just like times that we do? We've got to recognize that God uses our children, right? We call it out of them. We need to help them learn their identity. We need to learn our identity. I feel like as a nation, we've lost our identity. I feel like as, as, as churches, we've lost our identity. We've really forgotten that we're the body of Christ. And the body of Christ should do the same things that Jesus did when he had a body on this planet. Because we are the body that he has here. And we walk underneath his leadership and his authority. Who are we in Christ Jesus? Let's walk it out. So we've talked about identity. I'm going to skip some of the other things we've talked about because I've got a lot for you today. Let's put a quote up here to kind of get started with today. I've got a friend, her, I know that's hard to believe, but I, three or four actually. Uh, one of them, Twyla, 
is the director of uh, the vice president of student development at Trinity Bible College. Many of you know I was in North Dakota not too long ago, you know, and I was in North Dakota ministering. Uh, Emma and I went up there for a senior high camp, and she's the one that actually uh, booked me to come up there and speak. And she is an advocate for the culture of the kingdom. And I love this quote that she had in one of her writings. The container a plant is placed in will define its boundaries, but its growth is completely dependent on its environment, its culture. Now, I'm not a horticulturist. How many of you are a Are there green thumb people out there? Okay, there's a couple of you. Um, I, I'm not a green thumb person, so please don't be offended if I don't even give a good example of this. I am such a brown thumb that I can't even really give a good example of a green thumb. But I do know this much, that if you have a plant in your home, when you put it in a plant box or you put it in a bowl or you put it in a planter, that you're, you, you have already determined how big that plant can be. You've put it, you've confined the space, and if you leave it in that space, you've already determined how big it can be. Not only does that work with plants, but there's been a lot of studies about different types of fish. There are some fish that in a small aquarium might only grow to four inches at the most, but literally they could be placed into a lake and grow four feet. And that doesn't mean that when it's four inches that it's not healthy. It can be completely healthy as a little four inch fish, but you've determined how big it can be by the size of its environment, okay? By the, by the aquarium that you've placed it in. But in that aquarium, you can provide a healthy environment, so that's the healthiest four-inch fish that you've ever seen, or you can put it in an environment like a lake, and it's the healthiest four-foot fish that you've ever seen, okay? You can define the size by the planter, but that doesn't define the health of the planter. Same thing's true with churches. We're in a space that's too small. And because we're in a space that's too small, it already determines how many people that we can have, which is one reason numerically you have to go to two services if you want to continue to reach more people with the gospel. And there might come the day, if the Lord doesn't open the other opportunity soon enough, that you might have to go to three services because this box confines, we'll find out next week when we're in here elbowing each other. Or we might find out when some people go, oh, I might just get there a little bit late because I don't want to be too crowded. How many love the idea of a big crowd, but you don't want to be too crowded? You know what I'm talking about? Sophie and I went to 21 Pilots concert on Tuesday night, and I mentioned that just because it made some people jealous, so I thought I'd bring it back up. <laughs> We're working on your character. So we went to this, she had asked for this a long time ago, and so I bought the cheap tickets that were way too much money that were 15 rows away from the ceiling tile in the top of the Scott Trade Center. And I, I found myself thinking, how, who could ever do this on a regular basis? Why would you? And, I, and you're like, why didn't you spend a little bit more money? How many of you have been to a concert lately? Wow. It's not the $10 I used to spend for the cheap seats at a concert. Let's just say that. It's absolutely crazy. Now, God blessed us with a connection. Don't you love connections? And after the second show, we got to move down to the front row, and we were corner of the platform on the front row, and Sophie cried, and it reminded me when the Beatles, the highlights of the Beatles, when they came to the country, and you see all the shots of the teenagers crying, Sophie was like, <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. I'm like, settle down, there are people. She's like, I know there are people, but this is amazing, right? Crowds. I didn't like being so crowded, but you can get a lot more people in that space than you can get in this space. But I'll guarantee you, this environment's healthier than that one was. The numerical size of a church, honestly, 
I know some people disagree with this, but it really, the numerical size isn't an indication of the health of a church. It's just not. There are some really big churches that are not healthy at all. There are some really small churches that are not healthy at all. We want to promote an environment, a culture, that gives each of us the best opportunity for kingdom health for ourselves and for our family and then the people that God calls us to reach out to. So, I've, I mean, in this study, I'm, just, I'm kind of bringing you behind the scenes as I started working through this. And maybe I should have done this the first week. But I ask questions like this to myself. Are we creating a growth environment at Faith Chapel? And I don't necessarily mean a numerical growth environment. Even though we want to reach more people in our community, but when I'm thinking growth environment, I'm thinking, are we providing an environment that advocates for you, advocates for your family to come alongside you to give you the best opportunity to grow in the kingdom? And if we're not, what do we need to change? And if we are, what can we do better for that environment? And it's the same way that that plant that's in the planter. Do I use this fertilizer? Are we going to use that? Do we change the soil? What are we going to do here? I want my planter in this box, but I want it to be as healthy as it can be. Okay? What can we do to, to promote health here? Are we inspiring people to personal growth? I hope there are times you walk out inspired. I hope there are times that you walk out challenged. I hope there are times you walk out going, I want to be more like Jesus. Are we inspiring you? Now, when I think about this, let me just kind of go to the story that happened this week. I got a friend of mine, got a phone call last night. So it didn't happen this week. It happened last night. Got a call last night. Hey, PB, what's going on? I'm like, what's up? He's like, we've got a girl here we're praying with. She needs deliverance. There's demonic stuff going on. Can you help me? Like, dial a deliverance. Sure. Yeah. What, can, what do you need? He goes, this is what we're doing. How do you think we should? I'm like, you're right on target. Listen, this is, this is what I'm discerning already as we're on the phone. So he starts praying. So he's got me on the phone and he's praying for this girl and you can hear the commotion in the background and I'm thinking this is the world that I live in. I live in the world where I get the dial of deliverance prayer at 11 o'clock at night and I'm praying with a buddy who's in you know, hundreds of miles away and we're on the phone and he's, he's speaking against these demonic strongholds in this girl's life and I know that they have to submit to the name of Jesus so I'm kind of enjoying the moment, right? And uh, I noticed he prayed a beautiful prayer. And this man loves Jesus. He prayed a beautiful prayer, but I interrupted him. I said, hey, man, hey, man, hey. I go, listen, I just want you to get a mental picture with me. If some gentleman was trying to take advantage of your daughter, if some creeper was trying to take advantage of your daughter, with what kind of authority would you speak from your inner man? He goes, I hear what you're saying. I'm like, the enemy is taking advantage of one of God's children. And I'm not talking about yelling to be a yeller. I'm just talking about tap into the authority of God that the enemy is manipulating a daughter of God. I'm going to take you out in Jesus' name. You see what I'm talking about? It's not just about yelling and it's not about anger. It's about authority. I want, we want to provide an environment for growth that demons run when you guys walk into a room. That they just run. Because they know you know who you are in Jesus. They know that you don't back down from the fight. They know that you look past the visible to the unseen. And they know that you know that you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. We want to provide that environment. 
Are we giving sustainable, consistent growth opportunities to people? When I pray with someone for deliverance, you know what I'm never worried about? I am never worried about God's ability to break a demonic stronghold. I, I just, that just doesn't even cross my mind. I mean, everything has to bow to the name of Jesus. So spirit of fear, put a spirit up of fear up against the I am who I am. The ancient of days, Yeshua HaMashiach, right? Put a spirit of fear up against God. Who wins? It's not even a competition. I'm not worried about that. My concern tends to be when the person walks out of the room, will they partner with the victory they've been given or the next time the spirit of fear knocks on the door, will they go, oh, there's so, I, I, I knew nothing happened and, uh, and totally give into it again. I'm not concerned about God. I'm concerned about us. How about you? We want to create a culture that helps us to be the overcomers we've been called to be. How many believe that our, nature, our, our nation needs to have more of a kingdom culture? Would you say it probably start, needs to start with local municipalities? And if it's going to start with local municipalities, would you say that perhaps it needs to start in God's house? And if it needs to start in God's house, is there a chance that it needs to start in our own home? And if it needs to be in our own home, how about our own life? And if it needs to be in our own life, how about our own mind? Kingdom culture has to begin here. It has to begin here. I want it in D.C. I want it in D.C. bad. I want it in O'Fallon. I want it in, our, I want it in our world, but it's got to start with God's people partnering with the culture of the kingdom. So here we go. Here's what we talked about last week. Number one, I'll just review this quickly. Numero uno, it's a kingdom of light. Ephesians chapter five, verses eight through 10. We spent a lot of time on this. So here's a very gentle reminder. You were once what? Darkness. Does it say you were in darkness? No, it says you were darkness. So we weren't just brought out of darkness. It's not like Brad was hiding in darkness going, can anybody find me? Scripture says I was darkness. So I once was darkness, but now because of Jesus, I am light in the Lord. I'm not light on my own, but I am light in the Lord. So I'm to live as a child of light. And the fruit of light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. So find out what pleases the Lord. It's just a beautiful passage. The way I was brought up, I thought if I lived good enough, righteous enough, and truthfully enough, it would please the Lord and perhaps I could someday be light, which is not at all what Jesus' word communicates. God was using his apostle to say, it's because you are light that there can be fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth. So just find out what pleases the Lord. It, wouldn't life be easier if we would go into every moment that we face and say, God, what pleases you in this moment? What decision can I make that would please you? I'm dealing with stuff with a neighbor. God, how can I best please you in this situation? Lord, I'm dealing with stuff with my brother. What would best please you? Give me your wisdom. What would bring pleasure to you? And if I make my decisions based on pleasing God, I guarantee you goodness, righteousness, and truth will be a fruit that is evident in my life. Just doing simply, the, just asking the question, God, what pleases you? I did it this morning. I could just sense his presence in the room. And, you could, and I'm like, okay, are we to transition right now? And that's what I'm doing up here, right? I'm like, I shared what the Lord gave me. I shared what the, the, the vision the Lord showed Ron. And I shared it. And I could just sense his presence. And I thought, 
is it time to move on or is it not? Lord, what would please you? My discernment was what would please the Lord would be to say, does anybody else feel like they have a word from the Lord? I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. Does that mean that somebody had it and they didn't share it? Maybe. Does it mean that maybe nobody had a word at all and I was just a little hypersensitive? I would love to be accused of being hypersensitive to the Holy Spirit because there are times I'm not as sensitive as I should be. So was it, was it just, hey, was it just so peaceful in here that I interpreted it that maybe the Lord wanted to share more, but what actually was going on is I was just sensing the peace of God? Absolutely it's possible, right? And just another guy like you trying to follow the leading and the direction of the Lord. God, I ask that you'll help us in our lives to face the moments by saying what pleases you. What pleases you? Just help us to do that with our opinions, with our vote, with our decisions, with our accountability partners, with our mentors and mentorees, with our, with our work environment, with our family, with our frenemies. God, help us to do what pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Don't ever make the mistake of assuming that a prayer in the middle of the message means you're getting out early. Okay? Don't ever make that mistake. All right? That, uh, that word brought to you by Dasani, the makers of fine water. Number two, it's a kingdom of the sun. I absolutely love this point, but I'll strive not to spend the rest of my time on it. It's a kingdom of the sun. Remember kingdom, Basilia, authority. Okay, it's the authority of the sun. Colossians chapter 1, uh, the last half of verse 12 through verse 14. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light? How many remember that from last week? Who qualified you? Jesus did. Anybody else enjoy watching the Olympics, whether they're political or not? You kind of still enjoy it? Okay. Um, they qualified. They qualified to be there. And I couldn't qualify to be there unless some of the athletes I've seen, if I would go to a, a, a country with absolutely no training whatsoever and maybe a popu population of 12, I might actually be able to make it. But other than that, in the, it looks like it's a pretty difficult qualifying process in our country to get there, okay? When it comes to the kingdom of God, you didn't qualify yourself. It's not based on your own merit. It's based on what he's done for you. He qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. We talked about holiness last week, right? Kadao or Kadosh, that we've been set apart, set apart for him, for the kingdom of light. So we talked about that. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of what? The son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is so beautiful. Not only have we been brought into the basilia or the authority of light, but we've been brought into the authority of the son that he loves. How many believe that the father loves the son? The son loves the father. And the father and the son love the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit loves the father and the son. It is triune, unity, perfection, the way that only God can do it. 
God the Father loves his son. God the Father gave his son authority because God is the majesty of heaven and his son came down with royal authority and his son operated with that authority. And because he loves his son, and by the way, the Greek word for love here is agape, God self-sacrificially loving his son and loving him that way, we've been brought into that same kingdom. Are you starting to catch the inference? We've been brought into a family kingdom. We've been brought into a kingdom where we're loved the same way the only begotten is loved. We carry the same DNA that the only begotten carries. We carry the same authority that the only begotten carries. You've been brought into a kingdom of the son. What's he saying? Your family, your sons and daughters. I love it when it says he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Now, the NIV used the word rescue. It's not my favorite here because the Greek word for rescue or that they've translated as rescue is exousia. Exousia. It's where we get exit. Also, uh, have you ever heard of an exorcism? You ever heard of that? It, that's what we're talking about. It's like a forceful moment of, think about an encounter with a demoniac and the forceful moment that you exousia that spirit to leave. I command you to go. And that spirit's got to go. There's a forceful power behind it. The darkness that we were in, we couldn't just be, hey, come on out of there. You're lost. Are you kidding me? We were on our way to hell. We were darkness. The God of this age had blinded our minds to the knowledge of Christ. We needed someone to exousia us, to rescue us, to deliver us, to yank us out of darkness. I can honestly say you were yanked out of darkness. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let go until you said yes. And he rescued you. He delivered you. He didn't deliver you from darkness so that you can feel like an unwanted poster child in a church service. He delivered you from darkness so that you could be brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Your children, they might be your children, but they're also sons and daughters of God. And I might be the under shepherd at Faith Chapel, and there are times for some reason I think of you as my people, but you're not my people. You belong to God. We're sons and daughters of God. And you can walk in the security of that. Let's see if I can speed this up and by God's grace. Here's the thought. The fact that Jesus carried authority as God's son is the guarantee that we too carry authority as God's children. Because we've been brought into a kingdom of the son, a kingdom of family, everything that Jesus carried, we carry. I told you I've got two or three friends, Twyla who lives in North Dakota, Brad, who lives over in uh, the Newton, Illinois area, real close to the border of Indiana, Brad Harper. Brad is just a unique kingdom individual that I absolutely love this guy. When I met him, I was 19 years old, and I thought the guy was crazy. And now that I'm 47, I'm absolutely convinced that he's crazy. Absolutely convinced. This guy has more contacts in his life. How do you remember Robert Schuler that pastored the Crystal Cathedral Church? He had Robert Schuler's phone number, and he pastors this small country church in Newton, Illinois. I mean, the guy has connections everywhere. I'm like, have you, like, I read a book by, he's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I mean, he just wanted, he just, he knows everybody, and he really does, and it, he just walks with favor on his life. That's not what I want to focus on. You know what I want to focus on? I remember him telling me that the church doesn't understand family. 
I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, the church just doesn't get family. We don't even understand what it means. Now, Brad wasn't brought up in the church. He was brought up far away from the church. He grew up in the Chicagoland area, and Brad's best friend was from a mafia family. And Brad connected with his best friend, started running around with him all the more, and the next thing you know, he was with his friend when they would do a few favors for his friend's dad. His friend's dad happened to be in charge of this particular family in the Chicago area. So before Brad even knew it, Brad was in the mafia. Just because he was running a few errands and he was delivering some packages here and there, and he looked up one day and went, oh my goodness, I'm in the mafia. But you know what? Brad had no church background, wasn't walking in the kingdom. He didn't have a good family structure otherwise. It just, it is what it is. He was in the family. One day, Brad gave his life to Christ. I don't remember the whole story of how it happened, but he was led to Jesus. Brad asked Jesus into his life, and when he asked Jesus into his life, he immediately goes, I shouldn't be in the mafia. Isn't that cool that somebody would discern that you shouldn't be in the mafia when you give your life to Christ? Isn't that, you know, I really need to cut back on killing people. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of important, you know? At least down to one every once in a while, right? And they really deserved it. You know, we can always come up with a reason. So Brad knew, he knew but even more than that, you know what Brad knew? He knew God was calling him into ministry. And he went to his best friend and he said, listen, man, I've given my life to Jesus. I, I can't be in this anymore. He's like, I feel like I'm supposed to go to Bible school. Brad went to Bible school. One of the best stories that he ever told me was the first time he read the story of Jonah and he got to the part where a fish swallowed Jonah. He was like, you have got to be kidding me. He'd never heard the story. It blew his mind, okay? So he goes to his best friend. God's calling me into, his, into ministry, and his friend said, I'm, listen, I'll, I'll talk to my dad. You know what Brad found out? Brad found out that there was only one way in this family to get out, and that was a death cost. Normally, it just means you die. If you want to leave the mafia, you pay with your life. But you know what they did? They had an amount that they considered Brad's life to be worth, a numerical amount. His best friend paid his dad the amount for Brad's life so that Brad could go to Bible school. His best friend paid the cost so that Brad didn't have to die. And the, the only rule was, if you ever share anything that the family's done, I die. Because the son would have to die in place of Brad. So Brad's never told the stories, even though his best friend died years later, paid the price. What does this have to do with family? He said, I've never understood why Christians don't get the authority of our God, of our dad. When we were told, this is what he says, we did it. And when we were given a message to give to somebody else, this is what he says. They would do whatever we said he said because we understood family. We understood authority. We were only communicating what had been told us to communicate, and you listen to the authority. It's family. It's like, I wish the church would get family. They would get authority. They would get loyalty. 
They would learn how to honor each other and protect each other and watch out for each other's back. Listen, guys, we're in a kingdom that's supposed to be a family kingdom. You know, usually if you do use that to define a church, yeah, that's, that church is really, they're really kind of a family. We tend to think, oh, then they're small and they're dysfunctional. Okay? Have you ever said, we put the fun in dysfunctional, right? We're not talking about the size. We're talking about understanding our identity. Look what Jesus says in John 20, verse 17. This is after he's resurrected. Mary Magdalene's going to the tomb because she wants to put some spices and some perfumes on his body because she loved him enough that she didn't want him stinking after three days. So that's why she went. It was very practical. I loved him. And I, wanna, I just want to honor him even though he's dead. But when she gets there, she gets a surprise. He's not dead. He's alive. And she didn't recognize him right away. She's like, are you the gardener? Did you move him somewhere? And when he says her name, Mary, there was something about hearing him say her name that her eyes were open and she grabs hold of, teacher, she grabs him. And he says this to her, hey, don't hold on to me. I've yet to ascend to my father. I mean, she, she got him on the way out. Has anybody ever caught you on the way out the door? You're like, get out it. I love him, but I need to leave, right? She caught him, he's on the way to heaven. She, oh, she got here a little bit early. She grabs hold of him. Hey, I need to go to my father. Let go. But go to, my, go to my brothers. Notice he didn't say, go to the apostles. Go to the super disciples. Go to the, my mentorees. He said, go to my brothers. This is the message. I am ascending to my father and who? Your father. I'm ascending to my God and your God. It's family. Listen, you have just a secure, as, as a secure position in this relationship as Jesus does. And if you could get that, if I could get that, it would change the way that I live. If I would really get that I walk in as just as secure of a position as Jesus himself walked in, it would change my life. Here's a thought with it. The sooner we realize we're in the family, the sooner we'll begin to demonstrate the authority that the family carries. I don't think Jesus was ever intimidated by lack of food by a lack of shelter, by the size of a crowd compared to he and his disciples, by uh, the, the bondage of a demoniac or the leprosy. He just was never intimidated. He knew who he was and he knew what he carried. Do we know who we are? Do we know what, we're, what we carry? It would change everything. I'm going to say by and large, we don't. I, I think we're trying to learn and we're trying to grow. And I feel like I'm discovering my identity more and more. But, oh, Jesus, I'm already 47. Help me to get it. Because I want to, there's, life's too short. I want to walk it out. I want to walk it out. Can I get a hallelujah? Let's go to the last one, number three. Last thought for today. It's the kingdom of power. You guys know I love talking about the power of God, the dunamai, the ability to do so, the dunamis, the overwhelming power. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Paul started the church in Corinth, by the way. Corinth was a crazy town. Just like Vegas is a crazy town. Corinth was Vegas. What happened in Corinth? Stayed in Corinth. Well, it was supposed to. 
There, there was such sexual craziness there that they actually referred to a sexual relationship as to Corinthianize. So they had kind of redefined the vocabulary of the day. Not only did they have that going on, they had their stadiums built to their idols. We would never do that in our country today, would we? Stadiums built to idols? Never do that, okay? There are people that will die for their favorite football team. They don't even know their last kid's, uh, their final kid's middle name, right? So people with their, with their stadiums and their idols. Corinth was full of idolatry and full of huge temples. As a matter of fact, it's in Corinthians that we learn most of the verses about your body as a temple. And the reason that we learn that is because these group of believers were really intimidated by all these temples in their city going, we've got nothing. And Paul was saying, hey, you're a temple. What do you mean you got nothing? They, got a, they might have a marble structure, but man, you carry the presence of God. So he was calling out the fact that they were temples. And he says, hey, some of you have become arrogant. I know that would never happen here at Faith Chapel, but this happened in Corinth. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I'll come to you very soon if the Lord's willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power, what dunamis they have. For the Basilia, the kingdom of God, is not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of dunamis. It's a matter of power. You know what had happened? Paul had established this church. He delivered people that were demonized. He set them on the rock of Christ, gave them a foundation to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And because he was an apostle, he took off to go do it someplace else. And once the hard work was done... And once the church community was established, then some teachers came in behind it to go, oh, that just wasn't right. That's not the way you're supposed to do that. Paul was kind of a loser anyway. That's why he can't keep a job. He's always going to another place to start a church because nobody can put up with him for longer than a few months. And there's a lot of division early on in 1 Corinthians. They're arguing about who the greatest teacher is. They're, they're talking about philosophy and wisdom they're like, the Greeks desire knowledge, and we desire wisdom, and wisdom is the chief thing that we need to hold up. And Paul's writing them back, and he's going, who has bewitched you? What are you giving into with these false teachers? You know what I did when I was there. I came into a place, you all were a bunch of pagans. I brought the kingdom of heaven. You're not sleeping with people you shouldn't sleep with anymore. Your life's been restored. You're living in health. God's filled you with his spirit. You're operating in gifts. And you're going to let somebody come in here and stir up controversy about who's a better teacher? Stir up controversy about, well, we can't really have the resurrection anymore. Jesus rose, and now it's done, and the rest of us die. And by the way, I'm not just rambling. These were some of the arguments, and I'm putting them out there in a real sarcastic way. There were people that were saying, yeah, Jesus rose, and that's great, but the rest of us were left behind, so it doesn't matter. It's just craziness. You know, there's always false teachers to follow a true apostle and try to steal away what God's doing. And there are times, and sometimes it's not even false teachers, it's just people with an attitude. I, I love it. When I say love, you, mean I, you know that I mean I can't stand it. When somebody visits one time and they tell me the ways that we need to change everything. And it's not because I'm so arrogant, it's just because I'm like, we started with six people in a living room. You don't know you don't know what he called us to. And what I want to say is, can you carry the power I carry? I'm not saying this in an arrogant matter, but I cast out demons in Jesus' name. I see, the, I, I see the sick healed in Jesus' name. Can you do that? Pastor Brad, that's a little mouthy. That's exactly what Paul was saying. He's like, they can talk all they want, but I'm coming home. 
And when I come home, we're going to see who's walking in the power of God. I, we actually need to quit worrying about being arrogant. And we need to start embracing a little confidence that we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We need to start getting a little bit confidence about what we've been given in the Lord. The righteous are as bold as a lion. He told us he didn't give us a spirit of fear for a reason because he doesn't want us wrestling with timidity, but he wants us to walk with power, love, and a sound mind in the authority of Christ Jesus. You know what the broken world's needing? A few more people to know who they are and to know what they have to give, to give it to them so they can be liberated. I'll tell you what, if I was a guest evangelist, you'd be clapping right now. You would. That's okay. It's all right. If Noel said it, you would be like, that's amazing. Pastor Noel said it. Okay. I get it. I'm not short with a funny voice. I understand. All right. Hopefully Noel's watching. Here's a thought. The authority of God is not, um, not a matter of empty words, but it's a demonstration of power. It is. We need the church with some power again. And power doesn't turn on when we walk in the door. Power turns on when we all walk in the authority of our identity, of who we are in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing about it, and I'll end with this. Worldly permission can give a temporary solution, but the power of God can give eternal resolution. At the end of the day, Paul's like, we can argue all we want. And you might even be able to persuade an agnostic to look a little deeper into the apologetics of the gospel. And persuading someone with a good argument is wonderful, but that's only temporary. You know the best thing you can give an agnostic? The next time that they're sick, <laughs> have the courage to lay hands on them and to bless them in the name of Jesus. And when that sickness leaves, they'll be like, what just happened? I mean, I'm serious. An encounter with God can take care of years of arguments. Years of arguments. We'll shoot the final challenges up here for him, Dan, and we'll just, he'll roll them out on the screen. They'll probably pop up one of the, oh, look at that. If you want to take a picture of that and share it on Facebook or tweet it or Snapchat it or Instagram it or WhatApp it or whatever the new one is tomorrow that we haven't heard of yet. Um, Here's kind of just, I, I'm bringing you behind the scenes, PB behind the scenes. These are some of the things that I'm thinking about as we're in this kingdom culture study. That we would create a culture that offers everyone at Faith Chapel the ability to see the world and life from a biblical definition of normal. I don't want to see life from a church definition of normal. I don't even want to see, I, don't, I definitely don't want to see it from the world's definition of normal. But God, give me the ability to see the world from a biblical, normal perspective. That's part of what I'm thinking about with this series. Um, let's create a culture that honors his presence. Let me ask you, I mean, let me go there. How many of you really do believe, I, I'm not saying Faith Chapel's perfect, but how many do believe that you go to a church that really strives to honor the presence of God? You know, there was a day I wouldn't have asked that question because we had an encounter and we went from loving Jesus and knowing that he loved us to desiring his presence more than anything. And Faith Chapel went from being a normal church to being a church that just says, we want you, Jesus. 
just take everything else as long as we can have you. And you know when we said, Lord, take everything else, we just want you, you know how beautifully things just begin to change? Because when his presence comes in, it can change everything. So we want to honor his presence. And remember, we, it has to start my own, my own life, my own home. If Pastor Josh, as a worship leader, isn't striving to honor the presence of God in his own life, I'm just going to tell you right now, our Sunday mornings would be really flat. And it, people tell me all the time, I love your worship pastor. And I'm like, he is not available. We've got so many friends that watch us on Facebook. They watch us on our live stream from all over the world, guys. We love your worship pastor. Like he, he what's his contact information? His name, actually his real name is Bartholomew. Bartholomew at hotmail.com. Hot M-A-L-E.com, right? Okay. So reach out to him. I'm sure he'd love to have a conversation. I appreciate, and I, it's easy to use him as an example because he's up here a lot, but it's also because of the role that he plays here. It's to help facilitate us in worship. You can't fake worship. You can fake a song service, but worship has to come from who you are, okay? We want to create a culture that inspires hope for the broken. I hope every one of you are comfortable enough that if you've got a broken friend, a broken family member, that you know you can bring them with you, and it's a safe environment for them. I hope, and, it, and, if, it's, if, and if you're like, I don't feel that way, Pastor Brad, if then God help us do better. Notice I'm not asking you to raise your hand on that one. Number three, let's create a culture that reproduces kingdom life. Um, and lastly, let's create a, a, just a kingdom culture in general. I'm, I know it's 1233 and I'm done, but I have a story. So clock's off, can I tell you a story? Okay, this isn't a message, this is just bonus material. All right, this is, and I can't go long next week because we're having a big carnival. So I, but I just, I want to share, I'm trying to learn the culture of the kingdom, just like you. And uh, Emma and I, as you know, we were in North Dakota, North Dakota for the youth camp, you know, way up there. Past, we were north of Fargo, so we were, we were way up there. When you're north of Fargo, you're, you're almost Canadian. I mean, we were way up there. And the last night, and I'll, I'll kind of skip through some of the, the background, but the last night, the Thursday night, after about ministering at the altar about half the time, I went to the back of the sanctuary because it was the last night and I didn't want them to feel like the evangelist had to pray for them all the time. And all week we were teaching them to pray for each other, let your, your sponsor pray for you. I also understand by the nature of it, when you go and you're sharing the message, people look to you. I get that. It's just kind of, it's normal, right? It's normal. So I wanted to hide away. Well, the problem was in North Dakota, they understand honor. And so the district youth director wasn't going to let Emma and I leave without honoring us. So he makes it, we're trying to hide, and he makes us stand up in front of everybody, and they honor us, and, and honor's a big deal in the kingdom. We always honor people when we bring them in here to minister. When we say, let's give them a faith chapel welcome, that's our code to say, please go ahead and stand and applaud. Because we, want to sh we, we only bring people in that we respect in the kingdom, so we want to honor them when they come in. We want to show them that honor. It's easier than giving them money, right? Can you get amen? I mean, just stand and clap. We've got no money, but you're amazing, right? So I'm jesting just a little bit. 
So they, they show us honor, and he's like, tell Pastor Brad and Emma bye on the way out. They've got to fly out early in the morning. Now, I'm looking at the clock. It's already 11, and we had to get up at 3 to get to the airport. And services have already been, and I'm, I'm like, okay. And so I'm like trying to wave. Well, next thing you know, there's a line. And there's hugs, and there's goodbyes, but more than anything, there's prayers. Pastor Brad, would you pray for my knee? Pastor Brad, could you pray for it? Could you pray for it? And we're praying, and God is graciously touching every person we're praying for. Now it's almost 12.30. And I'm looking up, and I'm going, listen, I love these people, Jesus, but they're yours. And now I'm on, I'm on sleep-deprived countdown. Do you ever do that? If I go to sleep right now, I'll get this many hours. Have you ever done that? You're like, if I go to bed now, I'll get six hours. And then if I go now, I'll get four. If I go to, I'm, I'm going, Lord, I'm closing in on three hours here. I mean, this is, that's if I can run up there right now and fall asleep instantly, okay? I'm probably, I'm on a two hour, this is a power nap, God. And I'm like, Lord, and this is in my heart. I'm praying for people and God and I are having this conversation. I'm like, God, you gotta heal these people more quickly. That's what I said, like a spoiled brat. You know what he said to me? I'm here. You're the one taking the time. I'm like, okay. Next girl steps up. She said, I'm like, what's going on? She goes, my knee is really hurting me. I put a hand on her knee. I said, in Jesus' name, not any longer. Take a step. She took a step and the pain was completely gone. I mean, we had a five-second healing. I'm like, I might get two and a half hours of sleep after all. The next 20 people we prayed for, we probably were done in five minutes. God touched them all. Touched them all. I could tell you the stories, but I don't have time for it. You don't have time for it. it was, one girl came up. As soon as she came up, I could see the demonic stronghold holding onto her back. She's like, I need healing in my back. And I didn't have time to say, you know, there's a demonic stronghold. Is there anybody in your life that you need to forgive? Do you, yeah, I, do you believe that Yeshua really is Hamashiach? I mean, I didn't have time for that. I just said, it's spirit of infirmity come off in Jesus' name. She's like, wow, that feels amazing. You'll never know. And I'm thinking, you'll never know. You'll never know. Demonic stronghold broken. She didn't even know. Boom, boom, boom. I think there was a moment. In that moment, I was understanding authority and identity. Confidence. Not arrogance, but really believing. He said to me, I'm here. I mean, translation, you're the one praying too long. How many more times do I have to hear you pray the same prayer? Oh, God, release your presence. How many more times do you need to say it, son? Just release it. Right? Is it possible that you're not the only one bored with your prayer time? Love you. You get ready to clean, clear it out. Tell everybody to leave. Bow down, kneel. Dear Jesus. And he's like, oh, no kidding. God help me. I mean, me help me. Get through their prayer. Come on, let's bring, let's bring some authority back. 